Hi, Creepers. This is Unexplained Oregon, a podcast with two best friends talking about all things creepy, the unexplained, and the missing in the Pacific Northwest. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Unexplained Oregon. You can also email us at unexplainedoregon at gmail.com. We love our listeners' suggestions, and we love hearing from you. That reminds me, if you're a friend of the podcast and you want more people to find out about us, can you take a minute to go on Apple Podcast and give us a good rating? We appreciate that. Kim and I talk about real-life intense subjects on this podcast that could be disturbing to some listeners. We also use bad language. As always, be mindful and take care of yourselves. We're back. Welcome to Unexplained Oregon. Hi, Kim. Hello, Christine. How are you doing? Good. We're back. We're back. And guess what? We're in the same room again. I cannot believe this is actually happening. I know. It's very exciting after not being able to be in the same room. I guess we were a year ago, right? Yeah, Uh, we were careful. But yeah, it's been a, a full year since we've been able to be like in a close space together. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I'm glad to be here. Uh, and we actually saved this episode uh, specifically for when we could be together because it's such an intense uh, talk that we're going to have today. And uh, we're talking about the Kleinfall Axe Attack, uh, which happened in 1977 in Deschutes County in our wonderful state of Oregon. And really, this is a intense story uh, of survival and healing. It really is a before and after story mm-hmm. um, of these two college roommates that found themselves in Oregon uh, uh, on the bike centennial mm-hmm. event in 1977, which uh, we'll talk briefly about that. So today we're going to talk about really the before Mm-hmm. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about the after. Uh, so we just want to remind people to be mindful because this is a story uh, that you're going to hear descriptive uh, talk about what happened to these two young college roommates and this story. I'm going to venture to say it's an inspirational story, right? I mean, really, yeah. it's it's horrific and uh I found it very interesting because all it happened in the late 70s. We were young mm-hmm. during that time, and, and both you and I didn't know, uh, had never heard of this story. So here it is, once again, a really horrific, violent story that happened to these two women in our state. So, mm-hmm. uh, But really, what came of it after right. the attack? Right. Tell us about it. How'd you hear about it, first of all? Yeah, so uh, I just happened to be scrolling through Facebook one night and I came upon this like true crime post that said, here's mysteries or unsolved, you know, crimes per state. Mm-hmm. And I clicked on Oregon just to see and it it brought up the Terry Gents story, which is, you know, the Kleinfalls attack. 
And I was like, what? I'd never heard of this before. Um, and I got on right away and ordered her book because she actually wrote a book about the attack and the aftermath. So I, I went on and that was back in September, went on Amazon and got the book. And it's really been like a, a project, really. Mm-hmm. You've read the book two times, right? right? Right. And the book is called Strange Piece of Paradise. First off, don't judge me because I ordered off of Amazon. I'm doing my best not to go there. I'll forgive you. (laughs) It's so hard. But I feel like I help support space travel. Yeah. Yes. For sure. It's, uh, we were just talking about this the other day. Like, weekly I order some little thing off of there. Amazon. It's so fun to do. But yes. in the brief, like, we we were talking before we hit record, and you were reading some of the experts out of out of this book, and it's written really well. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend it. Like, um, after you hear this episode, you know, definitely go out and get this book and read it. It's because mm-hmm. we're going to... We tried to break this down. It's There's so much information in this book. It was mm-hmm. hard to figure out what we wanted to take from it so we might cover you know we might not cover some of the things that are in this book so I definitely encourage you to go out and get the book and read it it's it's written very very well uh she's an excellent writer I mean I, I see she was like a finalist on the national book critics circle award list here she had actually uh found herself in sort of a you know, a place where she was stuck and uninspired and it came to her, you know, that this was her next work that she needed to do for various reasons. And that's how she, she came at writing this book after 15 years after the event happened. So we are going to start with the crime, Mm -hmm. what led up to it, uh, how these two women ended up in Oregon, and we're going to work our way through. I'm excited to finally share this with you. I'm um, excited too. Uh, like I said, I think you'll find it really somewhat inf- inspirational on how Terry dealt with what happened to her mm-hmm. and um, what she needed to do to get over this uh, is very interesting, and it's so it's it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really a tale of survival, really, mm-hmm. and that both of these women still managed to prosper after having such a horrific event happen that was, by the way, never solved. So yeah, I'm excited to share this. Uh, let's just kind of start with um, with who these two okay. women are, uh, Terry and her roommate, Shayna. Which is, you know, she she chose to um, to use a pseudonym for her for some of the people in her book because she she felt that was the right thing to do. Her roommate's name is out there if you're really looking for the name, but we're, we're just gonna respect the book. Sure. And uh, Shayna agreed to have the story shared, but she really didn't participate in the writing of the book or any of the information in it. Terry is the author of this story, and they were roommates at Yale, Mm -hmm. you know, just young women kind of making their way through college and had met their first day of college and had been friends and, and ran in like the same circles, and Terry's major was English. 
uh, I don't actually remember what Shayna's was at the time, but somewhere along the line they decided and had heard about this bike centennial. So the bike centennial started in, at the coast of Oregon in Astoria and would end in Yorktown, Virginia. So we're looking at, you know, close to 4,200 miles. It was supposed to take maybe about 80 days. Wow. At this point in time, I mean, this was in 1976 when this was um, created. It was a bike tour on the Transamerica Bicycle Trail. And it was uh, to commemorate the bicentennial of America's Declaration of Independence. Hmm. You know, there was like a tour book that went with it or a guidebook. And, you know, this was kind of a like a dream of both of these women. And, and uh, Terry put a lot of work into the planning and the bicycle purchases and the supplies and just figuring out how to navigate this. And they decided to take the Greyhound bus across country because they really wanted like the full experience. And along the route on the bus... They end up meeting up with a couple, uh, Kathy and Mark. And the, this couple was also doing the same bike route. Okay. So they had kind of made uh, quick, a quick connection with this couple, uh, which plays into the rest of the story as well. Uh, what I want to say that I think was kind of funny is sort of the era. And we're going to talk about this more. What was going on in the 70s in our country Mm-hmm. what was going on in Oregon. And Terry actually mentions that on the bus, there was someone headed to the Rajneesh. Karam. <laughs> yes. And I remember just like freaking out, thinking about how odd that all these connections kind of come back to other stories. And I mean, it's a s- small world, I guess. And a yeah. lot was going on in the, you know, we've covered things in the 70s and 80s and Mm -hmm. 90s. So I guess I'm not surprised that there would have been a connection. If you haven't already listened to our previous episode regarding Colts and Oregon, the Rajneesh movement, go ahead and take a listen to that. So uh, they start their, their trip on the coast and the first few days... Um, you know, they're kind of navigating the rhythm of learning how to cycle together and pace together and, and the terrain and, uh, and really when you're riding like that, um, you know, it's hard when you're together with four people and everyone is probably at a different stamina, different ability And I think it's awfully brave of them that they thought they could just hop on the trail with another couple that they didn't know, didn't know their pace, didn't Mm -hmm. know. I think it was better that they were in a group, you know, for safety purposes. But I think it created uh, a dynamic Mm. and tension between Terry and her roommate. So at some point along, you know, within the first day or two or three some tension started building Mm. up uh, due to different things that happened along the route. And this is, of course, all all of Terry's opinion and memory of what happened. They didn't really talk about this tension. Um, By the fifth day on the route, they were in Eugene. And this was June 20th, 1977. Hmm. 
So I thought that was kind of funny because it made me think of like, oh, they were in Eugene. So they went from Astoria to Eugene. And then day six, their goal was to reach the base of the summit of the Mackenzie Pass, which was 4,050 feet with a ton of switchbacks. So she kind of describes how they went through that and just sort of the terrain and the, the lava fields mm. and like lots of mentions of the juni- juniper trees, bushes. So she, the book is just so beautifully written, so descriptive. It, you can get lost, like you can picture yourself on their ride. You can picture what she saw. Mm. And they were still with that other couple then? Mm-hmm. They Eugene. were still with the mm-hmm. couple and kind of navigating the the ups and downs literally of that and navigating travel with a friend and and doing something that you've never done before and the dynamics of that. And I don't know how you feel about that, Kim, but I like, wouldn't go on a cross country bike ride with you. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you right, right now that might end it. No, I'm just kidding. They would be very difficult. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Like you're going to learn about each other. Yeah. And here are two people that had never been put in this situation before. And then you have you have another couple with you that you don't even know. Yeah. So I think the dynamics are interesting. And, and having done travel to other countries and different places, and I know you, like, I think for, for us, when I think about you, Kim, I think about your trips to, like, as we have children, like, our trips to Disney World yes. or Disneyland. <laughs> and it's, like, the dynamics of getting us together. Yes. Getting the travel figured out, getting there, and then getting along as you're, like, going through the process Mm -hmm. of the the events you're doing. And I know that Disney World is different than, like, a bike ride like this, but it brings out Mm -hmm. stress and triggers and good and bad in people. Yeah, there's a lot of expectation anytime you travel anywhere but and would have to be open to what is going on. But with a bike ride, like, you have the whole other aspect of, you know, food and where do we eat, where do we stop, and that's going to play into this crime where they stopped, you right. know? Right. So they get this idea that here they are with their, their new friends, Terry and Shayna, and it's it's day seven of their trip. And it's June 22nd, 1977. And they decide that for some, for some reason, which I guess kind of makes sense to me, that they didn't want to like be in their friends, their new friends way in terms of like camping right next to them. Like Mm. they, they kind of, Terry was kind of thinking like, what if they wanted to be intimate, you know, and here we are like right next to them camping, like let's give them a little bit of a break. We've just spent almost Mm. a week with them. And so here they have their guidebook and they end up deciding to like separate from Mark and Kathy and let them have a night alone and and then catch up with them later and they're going by their guidebook uh they think that that klein falls park is actually an overnight camp spot that's what their guidebook said and so they go ahead and separate from this couple they get to klein falls and realize it's it's a day camp it's a day spot okay okay they're at this like impasse here do we 
keep going and ride to go find the other couple? Or do we stay and like, they would have needed to ride. I thought it was like 20 miles, but it says four to five miles on here. <laughs> um, but they had just ridden the whole mm-hmm. day. So they were debating like, do we go further because we're tired and go camp with this other couple on the side of the road, mm. which was what they were doing too. But they would have at least been with them. Mm-hmm. Or do we stay here? Shayna wanted to go find Mark and Kathy. Mm. And because it was still light, maybe they still had time. Uh, and instead, they, uh, I think Terry pretty much convinces her. And she agrees to stay at Klein Falls Park. Um, so they're going to overnight camp in in the park and they're not, they shouldn't be doing that, right? But they're going right. to do that anyway. Okay. Uh, Klein Falls State Park is about five miles west of Redmond off of Highway 126. Redmond is not far from Bend, Oregon, mm-hmm. in central Oregon. They get into Klein Falls Park and they're looking for a place to kind of set up camp. You know, what's kind of interesting is... They had, they, she talks about having this feeling like they were being watched the whole time. Now, this park is really popular. Like, there were people in and out of it all day long and even into the evening. It was very much Mm. like a popular place to be. And so there were a lot of people in and out. It's right on the river. Um, And even, you know, like I said, it was very popular, a very known place for, like, teenagers to go and drive around in at night. So all throughout the day, there were people there and even into the evening. They were really careful to like set their tent up so that the opening was like not the normal way that it would open up. So they went down by the water, I believe. So that everything that they did about where they set their tent up was like thought out. Hmm. So the opening of their tent wasn't accessible as you were walking up to it. Right. You would have had to walk. Yeah, and also they had at one point done like a practice run of camping before they left mm. the East Coast and had been out camping together, gotten in the tent, and this dude that had that they knew or had approached them earlier tried to come into their tent. And Shayna had, like, yelled really loud, and he stopped and left. And and actually, I don't know that they know that it was actually him, but at one point, they had had, like, this practice run. And something shady happened to him on their practice run? Right. But I think they felt like, well, we've got this. We can handle this. Like, we're strong Mm -hmm. women, right? Like, we, let's, let's work with us let's set the tent up to where it's sort of isolated but also the and you know the openings turned a certain way Hmm. and you know they both had these feelings like they were being watched but they didn't do anything about it yeah I mean how many times have you been out in the woods and you feel like you're being watched I personally feel like it's every time I'm out in the woods camping and I'm looking around someone's out here watching me right so there is an aspect of that but that's creepy it's a squatch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Like, some people are really comfortable, but, you know, let's just, let's just call it for what it is. I mean, these are two young women who... 19 and 20 right. are their ages. And, and they're, they've got the world at, like, their fingertips and probably pretty naive, but yet they're still 
you know, they're, they're noticing something's up, their instincts are telling them something. And I think that, you know, you want to push through that because you don't want to overreact mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. maybe you tell yourself you can handle it. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, about 1130, a 11:30 PM, they decide to go to bed. So they, they kind of have this like interesting tense filled evening, mm. which, you know, Terry does describes it in the book of, of kind of their routine that night. And I think, uh, Shana goes to bed earlier and Terry goes in and goes to sleep. And the next part of this is the actual attack. Okay. So Terry awakes to screaming and, uh, screeching tires and feeling a colossal weight on her shoulder. And pounds on her chest. And her first inclination is that these are drunk teenagers. Right? So Inside you, their tent with them? Like, she just, she just waking has no up idea. And, like, her first thought is, like, oh, of course. Because if you think about who was driving around the yeah. whole night, who did they see? A lot of young people, teenagers coming in and out. And, out, and she's just waking up to this. And she's confused. Right. So... She can sense someone stepping down from high above her and the sound of a pickup. And then she hears Shayna yelling, leave us alone. And at that time, she hears seven thuds and softness absorbing the blows. Mm. And then intense physical silence. She's wondering why hasn't the tonnage flattened her dead? Hmm. And then she hears more sounds. The man is stepping into the thing that is above her. And the engine revs up. The weight moves. And it releases her so she can now breathe. She describes it as a starburst exploding in her head. And then another. She can see that the weapon is made up of wood as she grabs the end of it and feels the metal. And so what's happening is she's being attacked at this With time. an axe. Yes. And she thinks to herself, this, this is what dying is. Mm. I know. <laughs> it's so hard to, like, read this out loud. So then the blows stop. He gets back into the vehicle. The engine turns over. It moves away and stops. She opens her eyes and sees the torso of a cowboy. <sighs> and this is how she describes it, Kim. A pair of pointed boots straddle me. And in them, lean, muscular legs tightly wrapped in a pair of neat, dark blue jeans. Two shapely forearms hold the wooden handle of a hatchet, suspended motionless above me. And I note the perfect symmetry of his pose, his long legs apart, his elbows, his hands together on the handle. The head disappears above the shoulder and the face is dissolved in the darkness. And she thinks, what an attractive cowboy. Oh, my gosh. So she can't see his face. She can only see his body. Yeah. And knows it's like a fit guy. Yes. And while he's attacking her, she's thinking about how he's good looking. Like, what the hell is our She's in shock. Right. And this isn't like a negative thing. It's like... The the fact that, like, as this is happening, like, this horrific thing that her brain is trying to, like, decipher. Yeah. It's just taking in information and making observations. Like, as this is happening, 
she's also aware of his body mm-hmm. and like it's being like ingrained in her because what well, maybe it was just it was just her brain's way of like collecting the data mm-hmm. I don't know maybe it was hyper focused on that as well like what she could see actually see in front of her and make sense of so he lowered his axe he lowers it slowly she watches it as it descends to chest above her chest. She cusps her hands over her heart, clasps the blade, and says, Please leave us alone. Mm. He lifts the hatchet, steps over her, and walks away. The engine revs, and he drives away. Ugh, that's insane. So the next part is even more intense. Uh, so we have... What's happened so far is, you know, these two young women fall asleep after, like, a long day of biking. Yeah. (laughs) You know, actually seven days of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh... They're a little mentally drained with each other. I mean, it's safe to say, right? She talks about that, how it's not maybe what she expected with her friend. Right. Her her best friend really, <laughs> this person that she had really come to care deeply for and have this like really intense connection with and I think she was super excited to be doing this trip with her and yeah, and I think had a lot of expectations after mm-hmm. all of the planning and all of the work that that they put into it. Mm-hmm. And here they are and these events led up to this moment, right? That's so, it. it's so, like, just the little turn of event of how they didn't go and find that mm-hmm. couple. I mm-hmm. mean, if they would have just done that, you know? Right. But making that decision led them to this. Mm-hmm. So she hears moaning and wailing from somewhere behind her. She really realizes that they are not where they went to sleep. She is still in her sleeping bag. She finds Shayna near the river's edge with her sleeping bag draped over her legs, laying on her side. She looks untouched. Mm. She reaches to the back of her head, Shayna's head, and her fingers trace a piece of skull punched in. Mm. She touches the soft tissue of her brain, and she realizes that she is dying. (laughs) So this part, Kim, is like... When I read this, I realized, and I've known this from, from different things I've followed and read, like our brain and what it does when we are in shock or I, I, I don't even know. And, and I want to just jump to this other story that I remember one time that hmm. this son and like his friend had gone in and decided that they were going to kill his parents. I don't hmm. know if you ever heard this story. And so he attacks his parents and, and ends up leaving or whatever. But it they the police, and I think both parents passed away and died eventually, but, like, the police traced the, uh, the movement of the parents. And after the attack, the dad actually got up and, like, started his morning. Oh, my he gosh. He got the newspaper. He emptied the dishwasher. So they have, like, hmm. a, a trace of, like, what he was doing after this attack. I mean, he eventually died. So I don't... The, the human brain and, like, what we're capable of in terms of how it can still be functioning or yeah. how it functions we're in, when we're in fight or flight. Terry finds Shayna, and she goes and finds her contacts. 
Harry has to find her contacts because, of course, she has mm-hmm. to help Shayna. And she puts her contacts in. Now, this is 1977, and I don't know if you know very much about what contacts were like, Mm-mm. but they're not like how they are now. And there are many different kinds of contacts now, and they're, from what I understand, a lot thinner. Softer. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm picturing her like going through her things and finding her fucking contacts and putting her contacts in. Yeah. I can barely put mine in in front of the mirror in the morning. Like, can you imagine? Mm-mm. So she goes and finds her contacts and put her puts her contacts in. She then, like her bike was locked up. They locked their bikes up that night. So she goes to get on her bike. Okay. She unlocks the bike. And she thinks that she's going to ride four miles to go get help. And she's bleeding. She's been attacked. And her arms don't work. Mm. Literally. I mean, her arms were just basically chopped by a hatchet. And she is able to still, like, use them to get her contacts put in. Mm. She's trying to get the bike unlocked. And she realizes that she can't. She can't ride her bike. So she runs to the road and she flags down a car. In the car is a a teenage boy and girl. And they stop and they help her and they find Shayna. That story is really interesting because at first they don't don't think she's even alive. And then Mm. she lets a breath out. And then they just dive in, pick her up, and put her into the vehicle. And, And Terry makes this couple that stopped to help her pack everything up from the campsite. Terry's in shock, She's obviously. in shock. Yeah, that's sad. But before they can get to the <clears throat> hospital, they pack everything up and put it into the truck. I believe they had a truck. And I'm not positive if they packed all that up and then they went down and grabbed Shayna and put her in the... I'm, I can't remember the events exactly, but I do know that it was very important to Terry to load everything up. And here's why. Because she thought they were going to just continue their trip. Like, Mm. they would just zip to the hospital. And then the next day, they would be, like, on the trip again. So she, her arms are torn up from this hatchet. Going back, though, they were not in a tent, right? Were they just out in the open, sleeping in sleeping bags? No, they were in a tent. Okay. He He drove up and over he drew okay that's what i was gonna ask you so that pressure that she felt on her chest was that actually his truck on her yes oh my gosh so here you have someone who's her body's been crushed by a truck then she was attacked by a hatchet and she still has like her body is still going into that you know fight mode and she's able to to do all this yeah, I mean, it would be fight for sure. I mean, I would even say flight even. Like, let's get this going. Like, let's keep going. I mean, but definitely she wasn't, she was not aware of these. Her injuries, no. how how terrible her injuries were. Huh. She, she gave them the combo to the bike lock. Like, what the hell? She didn't even get her bike unlocked, but she could give them the combo to it. Like, how could you even be thinking? Yeah. I mean, that just tells you the power of our brains Mm -hmm. when we are in survival mode. So this couple takes them to Bend, Oregon. uh, And what was kind of cool about this, actually, they go to the Redmond emergency room first, I believe. And the doors were locked. Because it's like a small hospital, Mm -hmm. but at the emergency room, like, the doors were locked. Mm. 
So there's a whole thing. I, I They go there first, and then they end up at the Bend Hospital, which, by the way, was like a state-of-the-art new hospital. Oh. So what are the odds, right, that that this happened and they actually ended up having access in the small area. Cause back then bend wasn't, yeah, I don't, I would love to know. I should have looked up the population of it then because I know when we were growing up, mm-hmm. bend wasn't this go-to place like mm-hmm. it is now. Like now it's like a hot spot in mm-hmm. our state. It's like the upcoming place to live or it's very expensive. And I think it has been for a while, but I don't think it was in the seventies. Yeah. I don't remember that when we were growing up. Anyway, do you? I don't. I, I mean, I know we went to Sun there. River, but yeah, I don't ever remember like spending time in Bend. But I do remember Sun River, mm-hmm. which was like a resorty area right outside Bend. of Bend. Yeah. Hmm. So Shana was operated on, and she had had blows to the back of her head, and they knew that she might lose her sight. Mm-hmm. Terry was also operated on for her nose, her left forearm her shoulder, and they removed muscle out of her right arm. She also had a crushed right lung. And what was interesting, she spent 12 days in the hospital. So they both spent different amounts of time in the hospital. And the book really goes into sort of her experience at the hospital and who came to visit her and her parents and her friends that you know, they, they track down, like, the couple. Oh, my So gosh. the couple comes to visit. Uh, and and sort of the dynamics of the hospital with Shayna and Terry and sort of what was happening simultaneously with both of them while at the hospital. And, of course, Terry's, like, worried about Shayna the whole time. Does it talk about law enforcement coming in? Law and, enforcement okay. came in. You know, there were different various, like, newspaper articles and reports. Mm. And that, the book goes into sort of how the news handled the attack and represented, like, depending on what newspaper, where, what, you know, it got national coverage. Hmm. So all of this is kind of happening. You know, Terry ends up feeling kind of shut out by Shana. Of course, she is feeling like a lot of guilt over what happened and a lot of the blame of what happened. Her parents are there, you know, they're really supportive and and really, uh, you know, that would seem to be kind of a, a positive part of it for her. And the police did show up and, you know, asked for like a description, of course. And she says, I can't describe his face. They also brought like various hatchets for her to look at. Creepy. Uh, and so there was police contact as well there. Yeah, and like I said, the, the newspapers kind of described, one newspaper described a female dam- damsel in distress, typical female victims. <sighs> so having, you know, blaming them for being in like a day use area, often not publishing like the real story. And then even in, like, the the Redmond newspaper, there was one, like, tiny report. So throughout... That is insane. I know. Throughout the span of the book, Terry reconciles sort of how the media handled the attack, you know, the victim blaming in it, the uh, interviews and report, you know, one particular, like, journalist that released, like, a, you know, a little report on it. I mean, so she, she kind of navigates sort of how the media plays into this and how, 
I mean, personally, it seemed pretty negative to me. Like, it, it didn't really fully represent, like, it was all about victim blaming. Well, yeah, and, I mean, we've talked about this before in our Highway 20 episode, right? Same time, same era, same area. You know, women are getting attacked, and they blamed the, you know, Marlene mm-hmm. who got attacked. Like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right, and this was exactly the same era where uh, maybe things are going underreported. You, It's interesting as you go through the book how, you know, she describes the, the writings in different papers. And even, you know, she was from Illinois, so there were Chicago papers that wrote about it. And so just even where it was in the country that reported kind of played a part in, like, how uh, it was represented in their news outlets. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting for her to to kind of look at all of that. And then as she goes through this progression of healing, she goes and looks at all the different ways that, that this crime was, like, represented in the media. Mm. And... It's pretty detrimental to to women, I think, overall. But um, it's something we've all we keep talking about. I'm yeah. not surprised. So, you know, they're both in the hospital. They both go through um, their separate forms of recovery at the hospital with their parents. There, Terry ends up feeling pretty cut off from Shayna, and then you know is feeling that guilt and. Uh, Shayna ends up leaving and getting discharged from the hospital and before her, and they end up saying goodbye to each other. But there's definitely this clear, like, disruption in their friendship. Sad. Which is also part of the before and after. Right. And from this point on, you know, the book kind of goes into how they simultaneously, but very separately, go through the next part of their recovery. So you, I always see this as you have the event, Mm -hmm. like the traumatic event that happens, and if you survive it, it's not even almost about that event. It's about everything else that happens mm-hmm. afterwards. And that's what this is about, really. Mm-hmm. A majority of the book is about the aftermath. Terry coming to terms with her recovery from trauma and wanting or, or hoping that this recovery would have Shayna as one of her participants. Right. <laughs> which would make the most sense. But what we find out is that it's not. It's, it's not, not actually Shayna. It's actually the community. Mm. It's actually all of the other people that were impacted by this one event. Mm. By this one person's choice to pull into this state park at this one time, this one night, and attack these women. And so the rest of the book covers the recovery process and how Terry decides to uh, move through the world with a, with no awareness of her trauma or limited awareness or suppressed awareness. Mm-hmm. And then she realizes that she can't do that anymore, that it's deeply impacting her and her ability to be creative and to write because she's a writer. Okay, and so then she decided to write this book and mm-hmm. write about what happened to her. Yeah, and along the way, she uh, cross 
crosses paths with Shayna. Okay. Their families are surprisingly both end up in Russia hmm. because of their parents' work. And so at different points in time, uh, before Terry decides to write this book, she has opportunities to process with Shayna. Okay. To try to heal, come to terms, discuss with the one person that could do that with her. Yeah, the one person on this earth that knows what she's feeling, who lived it with her. Uh, and Shayna doesn't need that, right? Like, Shayna doesn't, doesn't need, need that to heal. Because Shayna doesn't remember. So Shayna okay. has no memory of the event. And Terry has nothing but memories. Ugh, wow. So because of, of the trauma, the resiliency of our brain, and it's our brain's ability to block things out, or perhaps even the damage that Shayna received. Right. The, the blow in the head. Terry yeah. felt her skull when she right. went to her. So Shayna doesn't remember anything. And Terry remembers everything and would like to be able to process it with the one person that went through it or was in the same, you know, vicinity other than the attacker. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to happen. And for 15 years, Terry walks through her life, you know, finishes her degree, lives on the East Coast, tells and shares her story with people, sometimes shows her scars. Mm. And... Uh, eventually ends up on the West Coast and living in California and and kind of talks about her progression for 15 years. And that's when she realizes, like I said in the beginning, that she is at an impasse because she's, she's unable to be creative. Hmm. And, you know, that's what trauma does. That's what, mm -hmm. you know, if we suppress... It shows up in our body. Mm -hmm. She had, you know, for uh, several days, I can't remember what the day, it was like 12 days or something, right, Kim? That her eye remained dilated. Mm -hmm. So her left pupil remained dilated after the attack a very long time. And what happens is our pupils dilate when we are, when we go into like survival mode because they're trying to help us see better. Hmm. And hers stay dilated. Her stay dilated. It's in the Dang. medical records. It's documented how her body could not even tell that she was safe. Mm. Even though she was in a hospital surrounded by people and and loved ones and the police and, and caregivers and her body didn't know the difference. Hmm. So we're going to wrap it up with that today because that was intense. It's really intense. <laughs> and we knew it would be intense just talking about the attack. You know, we thought about extending this episode and making it a long one and going, but really to stay truthful to this before and after story, I think we, you know, we gave you the before today, right? Mm -hmm. The attack, what happened. And now really we'll talk about in our next episode how Terry was at this impasse and she came back to Oregon mm -hmm. looking for answers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what she found was, you know, frustrating at times as far as answers and help and support. She eventually narrows down who she believes did this to them. Right. This, this tale has only just begun. And uh, I encourage anyone who is interested in this book to 
to purchase it and and read it and if you can find it used used or purchase than Amazon. <laughs> strange com. uh again what's it called strange piece of paradise strange by piece terry jens she uh if you google her there you know there's plenty of photos of her there are interviews with her i believe that there is like a pbs special and we have only just begun the next episode is going to be even more intriguing in terms of the aftermath Mm -hmm. Uh, and I may remember more things that I want to add in because it was a lot I mean there's a lot of information in this book that's why it took me a year almost to go through it and it's covered in coffee it's been camping with me it's been next to my bed it's been with me in the middle of the night Mm. when I texted you and said oh my god could this be Right. Uh, John Arthur Aykroyd from our I Highway mean, I 20. looked up maps. Yeah. I'm like, he could have gotten on. It was off of Highway 26. I think at one point they were thinking that he could be right. the perpetrator in this case, which is crazy. So it was so weird that we didn't know when we started this that it was going to have correlations with other episodes that we have done. Yeah. And it just turned out to be like even more intriguing and even more disturbing and just, I mean, I've had moments where her her writing is beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's descriptive and you can put yourself right in there with her. Mm -hmm. And, And this, like I said, is just the beginning. So I'm excited to share the rest of it with you and with our listeners, Kim. I'm excited too. Well, thank you so much for this so far. Okay, let's finish our drink. All right. You got <laughs> Love it. Love you, girl. <laughs> yeah.